you would open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. And I was going to read the larger section there from verses 7 through 16, but I'll just read the one verse that we'll be focusing on today. Verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If celebration, rejoicing, joy is the great inheritance of the Christian, and I believe it is, that we are now able to rejoice in the Lord, that previously He was at odds with us because we were at odds with Him. We had sinned and brought His wrath upon us rightly. But because of Jesus, we can now rejoice in the Lord. And this is the point of our salvation. We're drawn out, as it were, to come to His place and enjoy Him forever. That's the reason we exist. And so as a church, we've been in the habit of every quarter, at least when we were able, when we have been able to have what we've called Celebration Sunday. Really, every Sunday should be a outflow of celebration and what the Lord has done, but specifically on these days when we take the Lord's Supper, when we welcome in new members, when we witness baptism, when we fellowship over a meal, it should just be a steady stream of joy, regardless of what is happening in our own personal lives, because we know that our hope is secure and steadfast. But the reason we have that sure and steadfast hope is because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So my summons to you is today to celebrate so many things, but primarily to celebrate the changeless Christ. We'll address this passage the next time that we're in this text together, verses 7 through 16. He really doesn't use it as a uh, statement on its own. He uses it, he, he alludes to it as a proof for something else in the flow of the text. So in a sense, we're taking it out of context because we haven't talked about verse 7 yet. But it is a theological statement, and it's worth a sermon on its own because it is so astounding. My objective today is to stun you, (laughs) to leave you staggering, to have the upper limits of your imagination stretched, and to do my very best to show you the wonder and majesty of your Messiah, our changeless Christ. So let's begin. He begins simply with the personal title and pronoun, Jesus Christ. Christ. The author of Hebrews doesn't mention the name of Jesus very often. He says he or the Lord or God. And he saves the statement of Jesus' personal name for dramatic effect. It's, it's very clear, especially in the original language. He saves it and builds up and builds up and then drops his personal name, Jesus. And this is an example of that. And so I want us to talk about who it is that we are rejoicing in. The name itself, of course, Jesus, means God is salvation. 
It's a, a derivative or a slightly, slight variation of the Old Testament Hebrew name Joshua. God is salvation, and the word Christ is the uh, transliteration, or just we leave it somewhat untranslated, uh, of the anointed one. The anointed one, God who saves. God who saves the anointed one. That's what we're saying when we say his name. But it's a, the point here is a little bit more than just what's going on in his, his name, what his name means. The point is the identity and essence of the person. To say that some random thing is the same yesterday, today, and forever is not very impressive. Like the laws of logic. The law of non-contradiction is the same yesterday, today, and forever. <laughs> the law of the excluded middle, and you don't know, have, have to know what that is. Laws of mathematics, they're the same yesterday, today, and forever because they're just inherently true in and of themselves. So what is astounding about this is not just that something in general is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. A person with a specific nature and essence and character is the same. He's changeless. So let's look first at who this person is and why it matters that this one is the changeless one. When we speak of Jesus Christ, we must be very clear that we're not just talking about God in general. He's not some spiritual being with a lot of power. He's not one of many spiritual beings. He's not like an angel. It's not one of three ways to relate to deity. Father, Son, Spirit. He is the only mediator. He's not a character in a story that makes everything else work together. He's a real person who was born, lived. He spoke, he died, and as we saw last week, he rose from the dead. And he lives today and reigns forever from heaven. The contours and details of his life, the precise outline of his character, the motivations of his heart, are real. And they are part of a real person. It's not just some idea. You can know the idea of a person and not know the person. You can know a lot about the idea of Superman or Batman or Iron Man, whichever your favorite one is. You can know a lot of ideas about them. There's an idea of all these characters. But do you know the person Jesus Christ is real. The point is, the changeless one, the I am, is none other than Jesus Christ. One with the Father and Spirit. He is the only true mediator. And know this, your Christianity, your faith is not, it cannot be, in God in general. God is a title, not a name. Understand that. It does not matter, friends, if you believe in God. It's not enough. It's not specific. Which God? What would we as Christians say to that question? We point to the person and work and teachings of Jesus Christ. 
The one true God designates him by giving a personal name. He says, I am, or we we think it was pronounced or said as Yahweh. But more than that, in the Old Testament, God, the one true God, reveals himself by the things that he does. He'll say things like, I am the Lord your God who led you up out of the land of Egypt. I'm the God who did that. Or he'll designate himself by people that he's in relation to, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He's specifying who he is by what he's done and who worships him. So what do we say? What do we as Christians say now? Certainly we can allude to those things and still say those things. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We rejoice in that. He is the one who led the people out of Egypt. Yes, amen. But there is a great shift that occurs with the coming of Jesus. The one true God is now no longer merely designated by the act of salvation of the people of Israel. And he is no longer merely designated as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He still is. But what we should say, what God himself now says, is to gesture towards, point to, and exalt Jesus Christ of Nazareth. If someone asks, which God? The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who is the one true God? We should answer, the one Jesus trusted in. The one He was one with. The one He called His Father. That is who God is. And this is exactly what the author of Hebrews is talking about in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 1. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets, but now He has spoken to us by His Son. He appointed the heir of all things. It is the final, definitive revelation of who God is in the person of Jesus. So, friends, unless you make frequent mention of His name the only mediator, the only begotten Son of God, then don't think that you have a relationship with or know the one true God. God insists to be known now only in Jesus. And don't think that your belief in God, even if it is the belief in God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that specific God will do you any good on its own. If you do not know Jesus, you are, if you're not in Him, then that very God you believe in, even if you believe a great number of true things about Him, will be your fierce and flaming foe because you've rejected the one mediator. Your access, your knowledge, your worship of God is and will forever be only in the person of Jesus. This is the one we're talking about. This is the one we're celebrating. This is why we can rejoice, because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This one, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, is the most important person in the church in all of our gatherings. He's the true senior pastor of this church, really. If you if you think about it rightly from the scriptures, the chief shepherd, that's senior pastor language. He is in charge. He's the only one in our midst who is not also a sheep. There's only one non-sheep here, and it's Jesus. 
His will, therefore, his wisdom, must be the focal point of all of our teaching and preaching. We have an unspeakable privilege, therefore, of relating directly to all that God is in the person of Jesus Christ, of Nazareth, forever. It's just as Jesus says to the disciples, they ask, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus rebukes them. Have you known me so long? Have you been with me so long and still don't know me? If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. There is no other way. We must make that shift in our speaking, thinking, and affections from ideas of God in general, the great power in the sky, the God of the philosophers, the first cause, mere creator, the God maybe that our founding fathers believed in, to Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He is God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in Jesus, we see the perfect poverty of spirit, the perfect man of sorrows, perfect meekness, perfect hungering and thirsting for righteousness to the point of death, perfect mercy, perfect purity of heart in every imaginable way. Perfect, he's the perfect holy peacemaker who is the Son of God and the one who himself ushered in and founded the kingdom of heaven by being persecuted even unto death on a cross. And might I say, this is somewhat an aside, that when your focal point is Jesus Christ and not just God in general, there is a major shift in your heart as well with what it means to be a good person. It's no longer holiness in general, righteousness in general, doing good, not doing bad. It's being like Jesus. And slowly and surely as your focal point is on Him, You become more like Him. Jesus is the one in whom all the fullness of deity dwells bodily, the Scriptures tell us. It slams the door. Do you realize how helpful this is? The specific character, personality, attributes of Christ slams the door on our ability and tendency to create God in our own image. We want God to be like we want Him to be. To, to, to have a hierarchy of good and bad that matches up with our hierarchy of good and bad. And we can do that the more vague and the more general God is. But in Christ, it's much more specific. He reveals God clearly. And how He deals with hurting and broken people. And how He rebukes spiritual pride. How he ministers to people, how he doesn't minister to some people. His focus, his laser focus on pleasing the Father. All of that fills out in our minds what it means to be a person who pleases the Lord. That's who it is we're talking about. Do you know Jesus Christ? Have you met him? Has your life been changed by him? This clear sight of the real resurrected Son of God is the basis of our salvation. If you just have ideas about Jesus, maybe even propositional truth about Him, you you can know the idea of Him, but you might not know Him. That's who it is that we celebrate 
And so we get this statement, Jesus Christ is the same. In verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same. He does not change. But what does that mean? The second person of the Trinity became human. And that is some kind of change, right? We're, We're not using words rightly if we say that that isn't some kind of change. It's a real, he became a man and he will forever be a man. So when the author says, and I hope you see this is why this is such a beautiful and amazing text, because we've got to maybe rearrange some things and think clearly about what he's actually saying. It's not that he was always a man. He became a man in history. What it means though here is that he himself, the very essence of the person, Jesus has never and will never change. He is the Alpha and the Omega. All of that perfect meekness and mercy and kindness and compassion, all that hungering and thirsting for righteousness that we see in Him as we read of His life in the Gospel, that's not something new to Him. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has been all of that from before all time. From before time began, when all there was is Father, Son, and Spirit. And so, He did not change in His most essential sense when He became a man. His mercy did not become more real when He was incarnated. It didn't become more genuine It just became accessible to us. Understand, in the person of Jesus, because he did not change in his essential personhood, we can see into a world beyond our world. In Jesus, we are now able to approach the God who dwells in unapproachable light. No one has ever seen God, but the only God who is at his right hand has made him known. That's what Jesus has done for you. In his life, in his actions, in his doing, in his speaking, we can see the real one true God. All that compassion, all that mercy, all that purity of heart that we see him showing when he deals with hurting and broken and confused and ashamed and denying sinners like you and me, and the pages of the Bible are the window we have been given into the very essence that is all of God. The fullness of deity. Not a junior varsity version of deity. Not a miniature sized version of deity. The fullness of deity dwells in Jesus. There is not something better or more glorious about God beyond Jesus. He's not like the receptionist into deity. A welcome to the deity building. And there's Jesus in the front and introduces you to all the rest. It's in Him. All of it is. So what happened in the incarnation is not a distillation of deity. It didn't get boiled down to bite-sized pieces for us. It was not God having human experiences, as it were, limited in that way. We should never separate the humanity of Jesus and divinity of Jesus as if it were two different personhoods. He is not two persons. He is one person. 
This is how the Athanasian Creed states it. Who, speaking of Jesus, although he is God and man, yet he is not two, but one Christ. One, not by conversion of the Godhead into flesh, but by assumption of the manhood into God. One altogether, not by confusion of essence, but by unity of person. For he, for as the reasonable soul and flesh is one man, so God and man is one Christ. It's beautiful. And as I said, my goal here is not to, <laughs> to help you understand all this, but to stun you and to push the upper limits of our imagination to behold this changeless Christ that is yours, that is ours through faith. That one person has always been. Humanity was taken into the Godhead, and that is a real change in some sense, but that did not change who He was, and is, and will be forever. And so we get to the first temporal designator. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. Why should it matter to us that He is the same yesterday? Is this not the issue we have when trying to reconcile some of the statements in the Old Testament with the New Testament? Do we not feel, especially from the opposition of the world to the things of God, that there is some conflict? But understand that the contrast is not God the Father versus Jesus, or God in general versus Jesus, or Yahweh versus Jesus. It is Moses, the mediator, versus Jesus, the mediator. That's the contrast. Moses, the servant of the household of God. Jesus, the son and heir of the household of God. That's the contrast. Things get better from old to new because we get a better mediator. That's what's happening. God doesn't change. The one true God can't change. So Jesus, because He is the one true God, does not change. What we have is not the harshness of the Father and the kindness of the Son. We, we shouldn't think of our faith as a good thing that uh, we, we don't have to deal directly with that angry Father figure we find in the Old Testament. We've got Jesus now. That's not what's going on. In fact, the vision of the final judgment of God is that Jesus Himself Meek and mild for a time for those who would come to him is the one who himself holds the winnowing fork in his hand. This is how John the Baptist sees Jesus. The axe is already laid at the root of the tree. His winnowing fork is in his hand. And anything that is broken up and blows away by the wind is going to be burned up. It's Jesus executing the judgment of God. There's no conflict How can this be in light of what we have seen? That he's changeless. So don't, what we need to do is not chalk up Jesus' meekness and mercy and mildness to his humanity. That rends asunder the Savior. Don't do that. All that we see in Jesus, from every flame of emotion to every definitive act, 
the willful weeping and the willful laying down of his life, the indomitable commitment to grieve over sin and the pure and utter freedom that he shows to forgive sinners and the zeal to rebuke and curse the stiff-necked. That is all God and is the fullness in him. There are, of course, experiences that Jesus would never have had had he not become human. Right? The God of all time, the one true God, doesn't hunger, doesn't get tired, doesn't need sleep. And so Jesus experiences those things. He had to become like us in our weakness so that he could empathize with us as high priest. But his most essential personhood, the, the him of him, if you will, didn't change. It's always been just like that. An ageless past before time begun, there he was with God. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That is who we speak of. The Word Himself is this Jesus who became flesh. God has nothing. Here's here's how it hits the road. Okay, This is where the rubber hits and we need to take note. This is very significant. God has nothing to say to you about Himself or His world that is not in, through, and for the person of Jesus Christ because He is the first and final word from God. If you're looking for something else, some other experience, some other kind of revelation, some other type of Christian life that is not in, through, and for Jesus, it's not Christianity. And it is forsaking the purposes of the one true God. Jesus is not a new development in the revelation of God and the purposes of God. It has always been and will forever be all about Him. Just read Colossians 1. I would if we had time. That He might be preeminent in all things. We should not be interested in any version of life, any method of church, any theological system, any view of the end. Any style of Sunday worship, any views of the Bible, any views of success, any plans for retirement, or any way to raise children, or ways to enjoy and share all of God's blessings that do not have Jesus Christ of Nazareth as the sacred center and glorious goal. We shouldn't be interested in it. It shouldn't even draw our hearts at all, because the center of our affections should be Him. And why should we have this stubbornness and insistence to make everything about Jesus in our lives? Because, in short, that's why the universe exists. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the one true God and God's reason for everything. The very same one who hung on the tree gasping for air dying under the wrath of the Father for our sins, is the one who has always been from before all time. He is the I Am. Jesus is the same yesterday, 
He's also the same today. The same one who spans the years as we sung last week and upholds the universe by the word of his power is alive today. He's the one who will invariably be into all eternity. But he is really here today. He rules over this day in the same intimate and powerful way that he rules over all the far-flung galaxies. Jesus Christ is the same today. This gives us a sense of his nearness, that he is not far off. He's not some deity in the clouds or in heaven somewhere that will be there at the end and that was there at the beginning. He's here today. He is the same today. That same one is today. If you would, turn to 1 John 1. So we saw in John 1 that there the word is from before all time in the beginning with God. But here's what John says in 1 John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete. He is with us. He's given the name Emmanuel. Not he was with us for a time. Or that he will be with us into eternity. He is with us. He is here. He is the same today. He is in the now If that helps you think about this, all of his power, all of his holiness, all of his purity, all of his mercy, kindness and compassion is here and immediately accessible to you today through faith in him. It's not that Jesus is merciful and forgiving to you just in the days of his passion when he hung on the cross. Or it is not that he will just be loving and caring of you one day when you arrive on the shores of eternity to enter into his blessing. He is that same degree of merciful, which is to say fully, infinitely merciful, infinitely kind, infinitely loving towards you today in your individual moments as we are carried along through time. And he makes intercession for you today to the Father And he does not pray to the Father because he and the Father are at odds concerning you. They are in perfect agreement. Because of Jesus, God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is able to both be holy and just and righteous and pour out unending mercy, kindness, and favor towards you. And all of that was the will of the Father. It was His will to send the Son to accomplish all this for you so that you would be able to know Christ today. 
now, in your every moment. Be thou my vision. That it is through faith, just as he's saying that we have seen him, you can see him now. Through the pages of Scripture, of course, but as the Spirit works, faith in you to behold your changeless Christ. So how can we do that? How can we have fellowship with Him today? I said earlier that the Father Himself insists now to be known in and through Jesus only. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. But where in all of this is the Holy Spirit? (laughs) How does He relate to all of this centrality of Jesus? Well, I'm glad you asked. Jesus is the one, the only one, who gives the Spirit. It is only by Him that we have access to the Spirit of God. In fact, the primary way that God the Father has indicated that knowing Him and having fellowship with Him is is possible is that we receive the Spirit of God through Jesus This is what Jesus himself says, or it could be John, but it's from God in John 3, verse 34. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. So Jesus declaring who God is, revealing who God is in his teaching and his life and doing is what authorizes him by the Father to give the Spirit without measure. And that's the same way that the Father authorizes him to give eternal life to whomever he will because he's in sync with, he is one with the Father. The ministry of the Spirit is none other than to connect you to Jesus. That's what he does. So, understand this. What what, what does this all have for us? In a message, this is a message about the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. I'm not exalting Him above the Father or setting Him as distinct necessarily in terms of glory from the Spirit. But Jesus is the only mediator. Therefore, to be godly is to be like Jesus and to seek to gain Him. And that is the gift of the Father to you, that you would know Him in His Son, Jesus. To be spiritual is to know and understand and imitate Jesus. There isn't another acceptable definition of what it means to be spiritual. It must terminate on the person, life, and example of Jesus Christ. Because that's what the real Holy Spirit comes to do, to conform you to the image of the Son of God, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Here's what it sounds like to have this changeless Christ today. This is what Peter says. Speaking to those who didn't get the opportunity to walk around with him. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Is that the one you know? You can't see him now, but is this true of you? 
This is the gift of the Father, and it is accomplished by the Spirit that you would know this one, your changeless Messiah. Jesus is the same yesterday, he is the same today, and he is the same forever. There are two main senses of this final statement. Jesus is the same forever. The first is, of course, the most personal. For unending years with him into eternity, he will be the same. He's not going to change. The unshakable nature of the kingdom that we've received, that we've seen earlier in Hebrews, for you've received a kingdom, an unshakable one, so we're supposed to have joy and hope that our home is not here. Here we have no lasting city. God is bringing us into our eternal home. The reason that place is unshakable and the reason we can have hope that God will always be blessing us in this way is because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That mercy that compassion, that love that he demonstrated on the cross is going to be the case 10 trillion years from now and unendingly into all future. That's why our hope is sure and steadfast. Because he doesn't change. Our confidence for all ages unending, eons upon eons into the future is founded on the unchangeableness Of Jesus. It gives us confidence for two things. That he won't grow angry with us or weary of us or disappointed with us. And also that we won't become like a wraith, if you will, like too little butter spread across too much bread. It's where drawn as a mutable, time-bound being into unending recesses of the future that our confidence is that however long that takes, Jesus is there. can, Can you even conceptualize eternity? At some point, the universe gets boring. At some point, you've named not only all the stars, but every single atom and some atomic particle You'll get bored eventually. But Jesus will always be there. And He is changeless. If Jesus is not there in His infinitely and matchless glory for us to grow in our knowledge of and enjoy, it doesn't matter how nice the streets are. It doesn't matter how many relatives you'll see. Without this changeless Christ sustaining our soul for unending years, any manner of existence, no matter how luxurious, will become hell. Because we're made for eternity. And to be stretched and pulled across trillions and trillions of years, that's terrifying unless Christ is there. Why is this the case? Because in short, you were made to know Jesus. And if you have any time of existence without him, it's not worth it. This is what it means to be made in the image of God. And also turn to Ephesians 2, 4 through 7.
Typically, people remember verses 8 through 10. I think 4 through 7 is equally, if not more, mind-boggling and hope-giving. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him just as we have seen, imaged in baptism, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That's the purpose of it. It is something that is going to take eternity to show you because Jesus is changeless and infinitely glorious and beautiful and worth knowing. He is the same forever. There is a second sense, though, of this statement that Jesus is the same forever. It speaks of His timelessness. Jesus is not along for the ride in time like we are. We're we're kind of in a boat, and everyone is in that boat, and that boat stays at the present, and it just moves along as we're all ushered from one moment to the next, and we have no control over it. Jesus isn't like that. He sees the end from the beginning. He is the Alpha and the Omega. So when we say that He is Forever, he's the same forever. Of course, we mean that he will be the same forever. But more than that, it has the sense of that he already is the same forever. It's not just a prophetic statement about the future that fast forward as far as you can and Jesus is there, he's the same. It certainly means that. But think of this when time was created, None of all that is God and not the Son of God was bound to time. The one true God sees the end from the beginning. Not like we would see it if someone were to show us a picture, if they were to skip forward into the future, if time travel were a thing and to show us what the future is. That's not how God sees the future. David praises God for this very thing. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Not from everlasting, you were God, and to, from, to everlasting, you will be God. From everlasting to everlasting, you are. He is God over the entire scope of it all. We have to say that or else time, in a sense, is co-eternal and co-glorious with God. And it's simple, really, when you consider the distinction between creator and creation. And this statement itself, Jesus is the same, demonstrates that Jesus is greater than the sands of time themselves. Time may change and there will be a last day, but Jesus is forever. And he has made it so that those who trust him will be with him even into eternity. So how should we respond? The first, I hope you can see, is worship. This is why idolatry is so offensive. 
This is why man-centered church and worship is so offensive, because there is such a one in our midst. There is such a one as Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and He is here. Do you come to church believing that? In the love and fellowship that we can jointly express with each other, in the faith that we express in the Lord as we gather that He's here. So should we not be talking about Him, praising Him, enjoying Him, obeying Him, ministering to His body, caring for those that He loves because He's real and He is the same yesterday, today, and forever and He is immediately accessible to you through your faith-filled obedience. When we get together, it is to exalt and honor Him and lift Him high, and He will draw all men to Himself. The second response is, of course, holiness. Paul says, whether we are asleep, Bible talk for being dead, or alive, it is our aim to please Him. Live or die, we must please Him. Such a one exists Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, so shouldn't it be our objective, the beating center of our hearts, to please Him? This is what we say when we are baptized, that I am forever consecrated to the service of the Lord because I want to please Him, because He's real, and I want to gain Him. It's the great remedy for all temptation. Pursuing a more well-formed faith in the Son of God. That can actually change the way you live. Struggling with any kind of sin, any kind of unbelief. Beholding your changeless Messiah. If He has been shown to you by the Spirit. Will give you power and confidence to overcome all ungodliness. And this is the beautiful simplicity of Christian freedom and holiness simultaneously. I want to please the Lord. It's one step. You don't have to have a long, complicated vision of Christian ethics. It's Jesus Christ exists and I want to please Him. No matter what it costs, no matter what that means for my life or my dreams for my life, I want to please Him because He's real. And have you seen Him? The third thing that this does as a response is that we can rejoice. As we've been saying all morning, we have this one. Not some deity on the pages of an ancient text that's interesting in a story. The one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If someone were to ask you, what is the best thing that God has given to you? Would you say salvation, eternal life, a place in heaven? Do you know that none of those things are the best thing? These come to you, these things all come to you because He has given you the very best gift. What you get in salvation is not what Christ can do or how He can bless, but you get Him. This is how Paul says it in Ephesians 1. I, I, I just still stand in awe of this text. And he gave him as head over all things 
to the church. That's, so this one that we've been talking about, the same yesterday, today, and forever, God, through the incarnation now, hands him over to you. Here you go, church. Here is Jesus for you. That is the greatest gift of salvation. That is the most amazing thing that God has ever done. That he gave Christ as head over all things to the church, his bride, his body. And the last thing this does, I think it gives, especially for today, us an opportunity to reflect. This is the one that we celebrate in the bread and the cup. We must understand that this is what we're celebrating. So the table is therefore only for those who understand that when we take this bread and cup, these little pieces as they are, they are us saying we are receiving, we are drawing on this one, the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So this is how Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 11. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so, or therefore, eat the bread and drink the cup. If anyone who eats, for if anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. This one, this changeless Christ who existed from all time, who spans the years, who stands above time ruling it, who has been given to the church, is the one we celebrate in this cup and bread. There are many reasons for Remaining seated. If you're not a baptized believer in Christ, you can remain seated. If you haven't discerned the body and blood of Jesus in this act, you can remain seated. If it's in an unworthy manner, don't drink or eat judgment unto yourself. But if you see this one, that you have received Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, and when you take this bread and cup, you say, yes. He is mine because God has given him to us. Then the table is for you. Let's pray. We're going to sing one song. After the song, we'll come up and take and return to our seats and then all take it together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We don't deserve him. We can't even fathom him fully. I pray that in that that posture of not being able to understand everything that's just been said, that we would understand that it's true and that it would drive worship and rejoicing in our hearts and knowing that that same experience of wonder and majesty and unfathomability will be our inheritance forever. In Jesus' name, amen.